0: Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message.
1: And it's a short passage from the record of Jesus' last evening with his disciples. And I'm going to begin um, with the last phrase of chapter 14, actually. Come now, he said, let us leave. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. And burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, and here we come to the clinching verse behind our title for today. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Enjoy your Christianity. Let's pray. God our Father, we as we remember those away on the church weekend, we pray now for blessing here. In your mercy, open up something from this passage for each of us individually.
0: Help us to read it with understanding and with a deep desire to follow you and obey you. For Christ's sake, amen.
1: These words were said on the night of Christ's arrest and interrogation and trial and sentence. Tomorrow he will die, and he takes the opportunity to to open up some very very important things for his disciples that um, they must grasp and understand if they're to continue to live uh, the way he wants. The first part of that that evening was spent in the upper room, in in chapter fourteen, where <clears throat> thirteen and fourteen. You remember he washed the disciples' feet, and then they had the Passover meal together, including Judas until about halfway through, he felt compelled to leave, and he went off out into the darkness. And then Jesus told them he was going to go on to heaven to prepare a place for them there, and that he would send the Holy Spirit to help them and teach them and lead them all the way through until they finally um, completed their journey and arrived with him where he was. Then at the end of chapter 14, he says, come now. Let us leave. And they got up from the meal table, and they went out into the gathering darkness outside. Just imagine, out of the house where they had secretly been meeting to remember the Lord uh, to, to, to have this first communion meal, out of the city then, and then through those ancient vineyards that covered the slopes of Mount Zion, heading down into the valley, and across and up towards the the Mount of Olives that was on the other side, where he would later that night be arrested. And suddenly on the way, he stops. And they gather around one of those vines, which Jesus then uses as this illustration uh, of one of the most important things that he was ever to say to them. He takes a branch, perhaps with some bunches of grapes, not even yet fully formed. And he holds it up and he looks around at the disciples. And you see, what is going to happen in the next 24 hours is going to change their relationship with him forever. I am the ultimate true vine, he said, planted by God on earth for refreshment and satisfaction for God's satisfaction. You are the branches coming out from that vine on either side. And my father's purpose in all this is that you should produce as much fruit as possible. This is your destiny. This is what I expect of you. And there are two key things that you must understand if that is actually uh, to happen. And then he starts to explain it before they then leave the vineyard and and move on towards the Mount of Olives where he will pray. The vine dresser, the the, uh, the vine grower, inspects and categorizes his branches uh, in one of three types, said Jesus. This is the way he assesses what's going on in, in the vine. At the beginning of verse 2, you see he refers to those branches that have no fruit at all as yet. They're barren. And then at the end of verse 2, He speaks of branches that have some fruit, but the farmer isn't satisfied, and they could be helped to produce so much more fruit. And then thirdly, in verse 5, he refers to those branches that carry much fruit, and he has something to say to them as well. Fruit in this passage isn't, as it sometimes is in other places in the New Testament, an indication of people um, being helped to come to Christ. Fruit in that sense, uh, new believers, new Christians. Now here, it's much more to do with with character. It's producing in your life what God wants from your life. The fruit of the Spirit is is not selfishness, but love. It's not sort of sour milk and grumpiness all the time. Um, It's joy. It's not anxiety, but peace. And patience and kindness and gentleness, uh, you know that whole list the fruit of the Spirit, as well, I suppose, as influencing other people to to become Christians. So there you've got these three categories of branches that Jesus points out. And possibly, as he lifted up the branches, he, he pointed some that were bearing nothing, some that had a little, and then some that were obviously going to be much more fruitful. And then he says, now, what does God do in the case of each of these different kinds of branches? Let's think that through. The barren branch, first of all. The NIV, the the new international version that most of you are are using, um, says he will cut off that branch. Or some other versions say he will take it away. What does that mean? That can be quite threatening if, if that in fact is a true translation. Does it mean that unfruitful Christians will lose their salvation? Or lose their place in the church altogether? Or lose their life altogether? Now, I want you to notice that it says every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is classic New Testament language for a believer, a genuine Christian. In another passage in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul speaks of, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 3, said, I consider everything in my life up to this point as loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I think the Lord is talking, even in this first branch that is not bearing fruit, he's talking about a believer who needs help, one who is not yet fruitful as He or she should be. The word translated in your versions, cut off or taken away, also means something else. And it's used that way in other places in the New Testament. It means to lift up. To lift up. In Matthew 14, for instance, after the story of the feeding of the 5,000, we read that the disciples went around and they lifted up. How many? Twelve baskets of leftovers, fragments, crumbs, and other bits. It's exactly the same word, lifted them up. What happens with some branches in a vine is that they tend um, to grow downwards and to trail along the ground. And down there, they won't bear much fruit. Down there, they get covered in dust and mud and mildew. They get less sunshine. They become, in the end, sick and useless. What does the farmer want to do with branches that grow like that?
0: He lifts them up, back into the sunshine, back into the fresh air. He doesn't chop them off.
1: He wants them to produce fruit. Maybe you are struggling drawn downwards back to old behavior or or habit new christians especially need to be washed and lifted and encouraged and put back into the sunshine and fresh air of warm teaching from the bible or a good prayer partnership or the encouragement and and loving company uh, of other christians who who care you perhaps need to belong to one of our regular house groups, a well-led house group, is designed to provide some of that sunshine and fresh air that is being implied here. Maybe a prayer partnership on a regular basis. It can have that lifting and putting you back into the sunshine effect that Jesus is, is talking about, so that they start to bear fruit. And then, secondly, he talks about the branches with just a little fruit. And here we come to Um, God's strategy for coaxing more fruitfulness in all of us. Pruning. Cutting away all unnecessary growth. The vine grower's secret for producing more is to start with less. Do you see? In other words, to go against the plant's natural tendency, some branches grow lots of leaves and tendrils, uh, but they produce very, very little fruit. And there can be such a profusion of these kind of leaves and branches and all kinds of interesting activities in people's lives that there's that the sun can't get through to where it needs to. And the sap from inside the plant starts to go to waste. Pruning is the vine dresser's single most important means of ensuring a plentiful harvest. The Lord wants to cut away unnecessary things in our lives that can have the effect of draining away energy from that which is really important. All those activities and interests which we get drawn into, which at the end of life won't have amounted to very much at all.
0: Do you want more fruit, more fruitfulness, more blessing in your life? Are you praying for it? then
1: get ready for the shield. The Lord is explaining to these disciples that he will want to produce exactly that fruit. But it may well mean cutting away even good things that become the enemy of the best. Now, we must understand three quick points um, here um, so that we don't get this wrong. Pruning is not the same as punishment. It comes because you're doing something right not because you're doing something wrong. Pruning uh, is because you are producing fruit and God wants more. That's first. Second thing, in a vineyard, the older the vine, the more severe the pruning. And you're all getting older. Mature branches must be pruned hard to ensure maximum yield because they get hardened in their ways. And thirdly, if we were to ask, now, how does this, all this work in practice? Actually, verse 3 gives us um, the clue. You are already made clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, here's another little funny habit in the NIV uh, translation. The word prune and the word cleanse are exactly the same word in the Greek. Why he uses, why the translators use two different words uh, in adjacent verses for the same word in Greek, I haven't the slightest idea. But prune and cleanse are the same in verse 2 and verse 3. Jesus says, look, the word I have already spoken to you is a pruning, is a cleansing word. You are being made clean already. There is some pruning going on. We've had some sorting out in in what you think of as life's important things and and what you're going to give your life to and and, and your understanding of what life is about. The word is starting to do that kind of pruning. What happens is that we develop all kinds of in the end, wrong or unhelpful priorities. Isn't it the case that some of us, let's just think of our lives for a moment, you can be involved in commitments, in habits, in activities that get in the way of Christian growth. And you know it. You know it. It could be work. It could be an utter focus on your children. Good, God's given them. But one can become so obsessed with them that actually, One's own Christian growth is slowed down. Or it could be fascination with uh, TV or some of the other um, techie kits that we, we have that take up so much time in our life. They, they become disproportionate. And they they need, perhaps, pruning. The Word of God comes and challenges us. And the aim of the Lord is to cleanse, to prune, so that we might be more fruitful. Think about your whole Christian life. It is possible, isn't it, to come along one day a week to a good church and think that's just fine and okay and to have very little impact as a Christian in the other six days. You may need pruning, refocusing. The Lord wants to cut away what's just leaves in order to leave space for more fruit. And the Lord is explaining even to the 11 surviving disciples who have gone within this far that the gardener, his father, intends to carry on doing that for the rest of their lives, pruning as need be. And then, thirdly, he talks about those branches that already carry a good deal of fruit, between verses four and seven, if you're following the text. And here's the second principle that's going to make all the difference to the disciples. Not a question of more activity and more effort, but simply of being careful to remain closely connected to Christ himself. It's such a simple agricultural point. Branches that have got ripped off or cut away don't carry on bearing fruit, do they? You're all looking at me as if I've
0: said something utterly astonishing.
1: Branches don't produce fruit. They only carry fruit. And if you get separated in any way from the Lord, then fruit bearing stops. Look at verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. The most important point of the vine is the point of connection between um, the trunk, if I can call it that. It doesn't look like a trunk normally. It's a, bit, well, a small trunk. And, and the branches that come out because that's where the sap flows. The Lord isn't demanding, is he, that we do anything here in this passage. All he is simply doing is describing what will happen if we're living right. If you're living connected to Christ. If you're conversing with him if you're listening to him, if you are consciously and deliberately cultivating his friendship, connection. Are you one of those, look at the notes,
0: who needs a lift? Who needs the shears?
1: Or who needs reconnecting? As Dave reminded us, when he was uh, opening up the service at the beginning, that word remain or abide in the old versions, it comes eight times in these four verses from verses four to seven. This directly determines the amount of supernatural power working in us. Connection. Conscious, deliberate connection to Christ. And the key to that, well, verse seven spells it out for you. Let's, Let's read verse seven if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. It's about his word and our prayers. You remain in me, connected, listening, seeking, hungering, dreaming, praying. My words remain in you, and then your prayers will lead to much fruitfulness. It's it's how we absorb Christ. It's how we feed our souls on our own and then with others. It's on the sap of his word. This is how supernatural life and energy and vision and faith uh, get into us through the word of God. And then as we pray over it and think about it, so the fruit grows. Notice actually at this point, there's a a fourth kind of branch um, referred to here. It's not one that's down and needs lifting. It's not one that's producing a little and needs pruning to produce more. It's not even one that's producing a lot. This is a branch that has become disconnected altogether. It doesn't remain, verse 6. Perhaps Judas Iscariot is a picture of that. He'd watched Christ, he'd listened to Christ, he'd traveled with Christ. He'd been part of that group of disciples, but in the end what he wanted was money. Jesus describes branches like that, as, as withered, no sap and they eventually are thrown away and gathered up to be burned. For time, um, we're going to slide over the wonderful verses 9 uh, and 10, and come just to verse 11, and let me finish off with this final point that Jesus is making. Verse 11. I've told you this. You'll find him saying this all the way through chapters 13, 14, 15, 16. Every now and again, he stops like a very good teacher. He says, you know the reason why I just told you that? I told you this for this reason. If you're if you're doing any study on your own, you can can read that and just notice those occasions, those little division markers, when Jesus says, "The reason why I've just told you that is dot dot, dot You fill in. The reason why I've just told you this thing about the vine and the branches is so that my joy might be in you, and your joy. Full. What does that mean? Is Jesus sort of picturing himself as as being like a kind of, a, I don't know, a vase, and you fill it up, and then a few uh, splashes of his joy uh, spill over onto you. oh, I got a bit of his joy.
0: No. It's the joy of watching
1: his own children developing and growing like he wants them. Sometimes, um, as you drive in or walk in on a, a Sunday morning, you can see parents standing along the edges of these uh football game, jumping up and down, behaving like complete numpties, as they watch their little kids running and kicking and, you know, learning how to swear like Beckham and bend it and all that. And the father's joy is all wrapped up in the development of the kid. You, you'll see it at a degree day ceremonies. parents standing there utterly astonished that this kid that they have produced has got a first, and that some university wants him to carry on studying. And they just overflow with this this joy. My joy is in you. Isn't that an amazing thing for God to say? My joy is all wrapped up in how you grow. How you grow in character. How you feed on his word. I love it when I see it, says the Father. My joy is to see my children growing up like my only begotten son. And when we give ourselves to seeking his joy and satisfaction first. An amazing
0: thing happens. And what do you think it is from the passage? Your joy is a byproduct of seeking His. If you want to enjoy your Christianity, give yourself to ensuring
1: God's joy with all that you are and have and all your talents and abilities and time. Seek His joy. And you will find that there is no better way of enjoying your Christianity than that. Let his word enrich you. May your character be changed. Accept his priorities and pruning. Put him first. And you
0: will find overflowing joy in your Christianity.
1: Let's pray. Let's thank the Lord for this principle. Let's ask for his help in putting it into practice and let's prepare as we are ready, considering our own lives, to come before him at this table. God, our Father, we thank you
0: for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, your Son, our friend. That he should bother with us amazes us. He was a friend of sinners.
1: Thank you for these teachings that we can find so simple at first and yet so profound and life-changing and lasting as we seek to put them into practice. And Lord, as we begin to come now in spirit and mind uh, to this communion table, we come needing restoration, needing lifting, some of us, needing perhaps rebuke or correction, needing encouragement. We find in you, O God, a great reservoir of provision for that need. Help us, as we take bread and wine, to recommit ourselves to seeking your joy first and foremost in our lives. For your name's sake. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.